Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we're going to have a a special uh, treat today. Uh, Dr. Richard Poor is going to be bringing the message. And so would you guys give him a warm welcome as he comes up to bring the word that God's put on his heart this morning? He's been marinating on it for months, so now it's just time to, to release it. I want to talk to you this morning about mindset, and uh, the Bible talks about this. And actually, when we look at mindset, we're looking at a higher level of thinking. When you think about your thinking, that's a higher level of thinking. Okay? And so, first of all, I want to define mindset, and it's going to have three parts to it. Okay, Katie, the first part, you have to remember this, a fixed mental attitude. You want to practice that out loud now? Okay. Did she do it? A fixed mental attitude. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now that you see how it's done, Jordan, you're next. This is the hard one. That predisposes a response or interpretation. That predisposes a response or interpretation. Got it? Okay. Aiden, you've got the easy one. To a situation. To a situation, okay? So let's hear the first part. Katie? Mindset mindset is a it's fixed mental attitude that predisposes a response or interpretation to a situation, okay? So how many of you have ever had situations? You ever had a situation? Okay. So what this is talking about is it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. It's a fixed set or kind of a family of thoughts that sets you up to have that knee-jerk reaction of a certain response or an interpretation of that situation that you're looking at. That's a mindset, okay? So I only have two points in this sermon. The first point is how you set your mind is important. And the second point is, whoops, there is a God-pleasing kind of mindset. Okay? So you might think, boy, I'm getting off really good here because this sermon only has two points. The problem is I have 54 subpoints for each of the two points, so take a little while. Okay, so the kind of frame of mind we're in is one part of this idea, but, but it's a little deeper than that. It's like a whole set of thoughts and emotions that elicit the, a similar response every single time or a similar interpretation of what am I seeing right in front of me or how do I interpret what that person said 
that mindset is a whole cluster of thoughts and emotions, attitudes, predispositions, okay? So here's a simpler example of something like that. So there's a biking path. Would you, you see any problems with that biking path? With your narrow tires trying to go over that grate? Now this is where Dr. Phil would say, what were you thinking? <laughs> now here's, an, here's another one. You have created a radiator coolant company that creates radiator coolant. You're going to manufacture it and you market it so it looks exactly like an energy drink. And then you call it turbo. <laughs> that could get you in trouble. And here's one where somebody might have had a pretty good plan, but the execution of it didn't work out very well. And here's one where your only job was to put down that white stripe right down that street side of that street. And uh, maybe you didn't think outside of the box. You certainly didn't think outside of that car. We're right over the top of the car. Or maybe you're the guy driving the car and maybe you shouldn't have parked there. Here's another one that maybe you wouldn't have noticed the lack of critical thinking skills until you needed it. Can you put yourself in that situation like that? Well, if you can, don't explain it to me. Don't, I don't need that. Okay, how about this last one? So are you supposed to come to a full stop or a full sop? And if a policeman were there and you ran it, would you be running a stop sign or running a sign? So we make those kind of mistakes, and that's a very, these are very kind of lighthearted type things. But it's a serious topic. Here's what the Bible says about this in Colossians chapter 3, and that first sentence is an imperative sentence. So we know from all of our English grammar that there's an implied you in front of that. It says, you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now possibly you've been in church a good part of your life and you've read that verse a lot of times. Here is the uh, message Bible, the way it says that same verse. He is your life. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead your new life, which is your li real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Now, there's an example of two mindsets. There can be a mindset of the old man. And if you've been here for water baptisms that took place right up here, you saw a picture of the old man dying, being put to death, and supposed to stay below the water, and the new man rises up out of the water, resurrection life. Two different mindsets. 
And, and it really is a mindset. Do you live in the mindset of the old man or do you live in the mindset of the new man? And um, that determines a number of different things. So, for example, your mindset, that cluster of ideas and thoughts and feelings and dispositions determines actions. And actions determine speech. And sometimes it's the other way around. The speech comes first and that sets more the actions that follow. And there are consequences that follow after that. Okay? So I would propose then that for a lot of those situations in your life, you have a mindset of how you approach that. Now, the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it essentially says, if you want to be changed, like the Bible talks about being changed from glory to glory, being changed daily into the image of Jesus, if you want to be changed, Romans 12, 2 essentially says the only way that can happen is if your thoughts change. Okay? Now, a part of older religious type thinking has it rejects that type of statement because it's anti-intellectual. But the thing about the mind is the mind exists in the brain, in this physical body, but the scripture also talks about the spiritual mind. So evidently our spiritual minds also uh, is alive in our spirits. And so for, the, for us to be transformed, renewed, we have to change how we think. In other words, we have to search out those crusty, encased mindsets that are causing knee-jerk reactions and that are the old man, and instead choose a different mindset, guided by the Word of God, guided by the Spirit of God. Okay? Not always an easy thing to do, but there are implications for having one mindset or the other. This is um, a little touch of history from a couple hundred years ago. The, uh, the uh, chart on the left, Max Duke was a well-known atheist of his time. He had 560 known descendants. Of those were seven murderers, 60 thieves, 67 with STDs, 100 alcoholics, 50% of the women were prostitutes, and there were 300 premature deaths. Not something to be proud of, right? But back in his time, he went through his life with a certain interpretation of, um, what was your word again, Aiden? Situation. He had situations happen to him. He interpreted those situations a particular way. Maybe the way he looked at his parents, maybe the way he looked at schooling, the way he looked at, at uh, rules and laws, all of those things, he had a certain mindset toward them, and that's what he produced. And maybe never occurred to him that he would be affecting generations after generation after generation after him. Now, Jonathan Edwards, you may have heard of him, a very famous revivalist and evangelist of that same time period. When you look through his bloodline, his descendants, we find 300 preachers, 295 college graduates, 100 missionaries, 100 lawyers, 80 
in public office, including a vice president of the United States, 13 senators, one state governor, three big city mayors, 75 military officers, 65 college professors, 13 college presidents, 56 physicians, and one medical school dean. So something we'll come back to near the end, but which of these two bloodlines of descendants are in a position to influence culture and society and families and churches and other people's lives? And that's the big difference, what you see on the right. Other than righteousness, you also see influence. Okay? So, mindset makes a difference, and we can see it played out through that. Next point, and this one may challenge you a little bit, so um, just, you know, wherever that door is, open up your mind a little bit, and consider this, that there is a God-pleasing kind of a mindset. I'm going to start this with this verse in Amos 3.3. I don't know if any of you have the same experience I do, but I'll often have a word, a scripture, that lasts me for a season. You know, like it's just everywhere for a while, and maybe it's a few weeks, maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a couple of years, and then it kind of fades away some, I think because it's become a part of me. It's become a part of, it's, it's adjusted my mindset, and it's become a part of me. This one has really meant a lot to me for quite some time now. If you want to walk with God, you have to agree with him. He doesn't come down and agree with you. You have to agree with him. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time, giving us opportunities, putting situations that are divine appointments in front of us, giving us the opportunity to agree, yes, Lord, I'll do that, I'll do that. But that kind of change may take a change in mindset. And depending upon how entrenched a mindset is in religion, it may be hard to change. So you go back to the Word and you go back to prayer and just really work through that to change your mind so that you're really transformed. So what I want to look at is this story. The Bible, um, many Bible versions call it a parable. I don't think it is because Jesus said there was once a man. And generally when he does that, scholars think that, that there was a real man. So Jesus said there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine all through the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there, <clears throat> this is a part of a point, who assigned him to his fields to slop the, the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. And I had never noticed until this time through that this guy was evidently so closely monitored, he couldn't even slip a corn cob, stick it in his robe, 
and eat it later. He didn't even get to eat the corn cobs. Somebody was watching, or he would, I think he would have done that. Whoops. That brought him to his senses. So what we see here is what the Bible calls repentance. He had one direction he was going, and he turned and went 180 degrees the other way. He had a change in his mindset. He had an identity of being the guy that is banished off in this country, self-banishment, but banished off in this other country, slopping the hogs and starving to death. And he turned, and he, you can see his mindset change right here. All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. Okay, so I want you to see how many of you believe that's a different mindset than what he was in before. Okay, so it, it has some distinct characteristics to it. And he says, I don't deserve to be called your son. I'm not worthy. Take me on as a hired hand. So that there's a whole set there of his thoughts about what's happening. And he arrives back to his father with that mindset, with that identity. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out and embraced him and kissed him. The son, remember the mindset, the son's in, the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. There's his mindset. But the, this is like, to me like a beautiful sentence. But the father wasn't listening. Okay? God killed the old man. God doesn't talk to the old man any longer. God talks to the new creation. Your mindset, if it's in the old man, you're not going to hear a lot of revelation from God. Be in the new mindset. The father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a robe and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. So this little dial here kind of shows you three different mindsets. The son was in the mindset of the hog farm. And then he was in the mindset of returning as a servant. Now, you can read in the text. I don't think I'm reading anything into it. You can read in the text. A part of that mindset was to approach God from the viewpoint of saying, I am not worthy for any good thing. Just assign me to some corner of the fields, and I'll do the work. I won't live in the house. I won't know what's going on. I won't have anything nice. See, this is why we can't have nice things. And the mindset that the father had is radically different. The mindset of the father is for a son or a daughter. 
Now, because of typeface and trying to fix stuff on, I don't have son or daughter everywhere, but that's what I mean when I say son. Now, we don't know if the son was able to make another adjustment in his mindset. Did he make the adjustment from the worthless servant to being the son? We don't know. I think he did because it said they had a good time. So I think he made that adjustment. So your mindset is what determines this. It's just three different ways of thinking. Three different ways of having predispositions toward responding and interpreting all those different situations that happen to us in life. Now, Jesus said something very similar. You can find a lot of scriptures to back up the idea of sonship in the Bible. Jesus said something similar to his disciples in, um, I'm skipping one. When we go back to Luke 15, I put in, in brackets, the father ignored what the son was saying. Wouldn't have it. Wouldn't even comment on it. He didn't say, I like to think a lot of times when I read the Bible, what didn't happen? Well, he didn't say, okay, now let me, let me talk to you about that. And, you know, maybe that's a good idea. You kind of start out as a servant and uh, we'll kind of see how that works out. And if you don't run off again or steal anything, then, you know, maybe you can and be a servant in the house and still be a servant and kind of progress up to being a son fully endowed with the robe and the ring and the sandals and a part of the celebration. He didn't do that. He just totally ignored him. This plan that he had to come back worthless, a snake on the ground, sniveling, coming back, just, I'm worthless. I don't deserve anything. The father totally ignored that. And again, he said, bring the robe, the ring, the sandals, and let's have a party. So here's a picture of those two mindsets we're looking at. The, ser- the servant and the son. I want you to notice how clear it is in Scripture. The father rejected the servant mindset. He rejected it. He didn't say, mm, you're a little bit worthy. And, and partly not worthy, and none of that. He just went right over that, didn't, didn't accept it, and totally ignored it. So what we're seeing here are three radically different mindsets. Each of these mindsets produces absolutely different actions, different speech, and different outcomes. And the world, there's a world of difference between these three different mindsets, okay? And my thesis or supposition this morning is that that servant mindset is where many, many good people are that still have layers of religion layered on them. I know I did. About three years ago, I decided to try to just start sniffing those out and figuring out what the way I thought, the way I reacted, the way I interpreted things, how much of it was just religion? How much of it was something I'd heard said in church or by Sunday school teachers over and over and over and over again? I started attending church with my parents when I was three. Went to Pentecostal church and then 
I became a good Southern Baptist boy, and then uh, part of the Jesus people with the charismatic mo- movement, and then uh, part of a non-denominational church. There's a lot of layering in there, and uh, you have to ferret it out, and you have to break through that crust and agree to agree with Jesus and walk with Jesus. Now, Jesus said something very similar to this in John chapter 15. He said, this is the best way to love. He's talking to his disciples. Let your, put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. Look at this. Look how emphatic this is. I'm no longer calling you servants. Because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from my father. Now, there are many others, but it's just so clear he rejected the servant mentality. Now, somebody could say, well, aren't we supposed to serve? Isn't serving good? Yeah, it is. But serving and having a servant mindset are two different things. If you, which you are, if you were the son or a daughter of an extremely wealthy family, couldn't you choose to serve your father, serve your brothers and sisters, serve the family business? Of course you could. It doesn't mean that you can't serve and you should serve, but it has to be from the mindset of a son or a daughter. So here we have again a picture of this. Totally different outcomes. When I was uh, sitting in worship about two weeks ago, I was thinking about this sermon, and I felt the Lord dropped into my spirit the phrase, in the system. When you're a servant, have a servant mindset, you're in the religious system, and no good can come of it. When you're when you have a son mindset or daughter mindset, you're at the feast. Okay? You're celebrating. Life is good. So here's a chart, just a few things to try to draw out the difference between a son and a servant mindset. Okay? So servants, fathers use their servants. Fathers love their sons and daughters. Joy is not a priority. Fathers and sons have fun. Now, I think God is one of the most fun-loving beings that there ever was. But to the degree we're wrapped up in religion, we don't perceive that. We don't interpret things that way. So, uh, many of you have heard this before, but I know some of you haven't. So, um, I'm going to tell you a story about Sean and Becca. Um, Maybe a year before Becca brought Sean home to meet us, I said to her one day, when you come home, I'm going to be, when you bring a young man home, I'm going to be in that recliner cleaning my 357 Magnum. That's the way I want him to meet me. And, uh, oh, Dad, you know. And then we knew she was getting real serious about somebody. We didn't know for sure who it was. And she dropped in unannounced one night. Friday or Saturday evening, and uh, I would get that gun out and just clean it just one time a year. And she brought him through the front door, 
and I was sitting in that recliner cleaning my 357. Now, you tell me that isn't funny. Now, it was funnier to me than it was to Sean and Becca. (laughs) But I think God was laughing. God knew that he would have a long-term relationship with all three of us. This will be really funny to do this. And so, um, if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. God's um, funny. I remember a story I read by... um, a minister, long life of ministry, and he had been, him and then some other missionaries dropped into a village that had never received the gospel before. And the first thing that they met in the village was a witch doctor who had bones and all sorts of things all over him, coming out, shaking things at him and screaming at him. And the, the man that was telling the story said the missionaries with him took off. And he wasn't going to let that happen. So he started going toward the witch doctor. And the only thing he could think of was a rock song. And I can't remember the words, but when I'm traveling in my automobile, I can't get no satisfaction. That's the only thing he could think of. So he starts screaming the lyrics to I can't get no satisfaction at the witch, at the witch doctor. And the witch doctor screamed and jumped and ran, and they said he never came back to that village again. And what the guy said he heard was he heard God laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. God, he said, why'd you make me do that? And God said, that was really funny. <laughs> but if we don't have the free mindset of relationship as a son, you know, dad, sons in a good family, sons see their dads do some pretty funny things. And if we don't have that, we don't see that. Servants see God as judge. Sons see God as father. Servants serve the house. Sons live in the house. Serv- servants have limited access. Sons have full access. Servants think me. Sons think family. Servants follow the program. Sons help create the program. I love the scripture in Acts that says, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. The apostles were in a relationship with the Holy Spirit where they worked out what the next steps were going to be. Servants leave nothing to the next generation. Sons empower the next generation. Servants don't own anything, very, very little. I was thinking when Peter and John went up into the temple and they said, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we give to you. And I thought, ah, they were thinking like sons because servants don't have anything to give. And they realized they had access to the kingdom of God. Servants see correction as rejection. Sons are secure and can be corrected. Servants live under rules. Um, Sons live within relationships. Servants do not take chances. Why? Because they see God as a judge and they could get in trouble. Sons are risk takers. They're secure in who they are. And they know that the natural uh, way things work is you make mistakes and you get lovingly corrected, shown a different way, and you try again. That's what's normal. Servants are chained to their past. Sons have a vision and a future. Servants look for an identity. Sons have an identity. 
So the question is, where is your mindset? Where are you walking? I guarantee you, Scripture indicates God is not walking in that slave or servant mentality. He's walking in a mentality of a loving father with sons and daughters. So if your mind's in the hog farm and you have either never made that transition to the arms of a waiting, loving father, then feel free to come up afterwards. Somebody will pray with you and uh, make that turn where you turn toward God, get born again. But maybe you're in the mindset of a servant where you don't know what the master is doing. You don't feel like you have access to the house of God. You don't feel like that you can take a risk, that you can reach out. Uh, Or maybe you are in more the mindset of a son. So, now I want to challenge you. But I want to make you volunteer for it. How many are willing to be challenged some? Right now, right this minute. Jordan? Okay. All right. This is, you may have read this already. This is a post that Pastor Sean put up on Facebook. It's from a post made by Pastor Jim Croft, pastor at Boca Raton, Florida, who is the person that ordained me a long time ago. <clears throat> so here's what he says. You're going to see in this two different mindsets, two different mentalities. Keep in mind, each mindset has its own set of actions, speech, and outcomes. Okay? Let's examine our methods of evangelism against that of Jesus. Our most off first choice of ministry focus are neighborhoods impoverished for generations, the substance abusers, criminals, and the undisciplined who've not demonstrated consistent ambition for betterment of their lives nor that of their families. Why do we do this? Our motives are a mixture. On a positive note, we genuinely want to minister Christ to the downtrodden, even when it's self-induced. The other reason is not so flattering. Our insecurities cause us to feel awkwardly out of place about ministering to the accomplished of society. Timidity drives us to focus almost, focus almost exclusively on those we view as lower in social station. This gives the well-adjusted contributors of society the impression that fervent Christianity is basically for those needing comfort about ineptness at life. I'm going to read that again. This gives the well-adjusted contributors of society the impression that fervent Christianity is basically for those needing comfort about ineptness of life. When I uh, taught at the university, I often wondered um, who has ever ministered to these intellectuals. A lot of people are afraid of them because they can argue, they seem to have strong points, they are, have strong beliefs, and, and nobody witnesses to them. So we think of the down and outers and witness to them, but what about 
the mayor? You know, what about the governor? What about your boss? What about people that are uh, more stable in society? Jesus commanded that kingdom messengers seek out known God seekers. They were to identify their message with honorable, well-placed, productive people in every new city. The church apostles obeyed him and first went to synagogues, places of prayer, holders of political office, and the gathering spots of leading citizens. The apparent concept was that if you capture the attention of the innovators and producers of societal stability, the rest will surely follow. Before getting upset with me, Pastor Jim says, honestly ponder who Jesus invested most of his time with. His disciples had productive lives prior to his call. He dined and conversed with scribes, tax collectors, and the wealthy who supported his ministry. He spent downtime with property owners, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He ministered in private homes that were large enough for meaningful crowds. Yes, he ministered and showed uh, compassion to the poor, the downtrodden, the prostitutes. They were welcome. They benefit from his ministry. Were they the exclusive focal point of his ministry? No. It is not the down and outers, the undisciplined, that provides stability for long-lasting ministries. It is the accomplished that comprise the boards of the most effective ministries. Well, I don't know about you. I find that very, very powerful. And it challenges uh, maybe pretty deep-seated beliefs about who a church should go to and spread the gospel and how that should happen. So there's two totally different mindsets. Again, totally different actions, speech, totally different outcomes in those two different things. So I challenge you to look at, think about your thinking. Look at your mindset, your reaction to different situations and see, are you approaching it as somebody who feels like they're not worthy? In the parable and in what Jesus said, God rejects that. So there's a strong religious pull that to, to think there's some value to saying, I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy of anything at all. That's not God's will. It was the father in the story of the prodigal son. It was the father that made a decision to give him the robe, the ring, the sandals, and throw the celebration. His decision. The son didn't have the right to come to the father and then dictate the terms under which he would return. It's the father's will that we be in the family as sons and daughters, representatives of the kingdom of God, having uh, almost unbounded access with what we do with our lives. Okay? So stand up. I'll show you this last slide. This is what I've come to do. If I head out somewhere in the car, I say, I put on the robe. I put on the, the ring. I put on the sandals. I'm entering into the celebration that's continuously going on in heaven. I am a son of God. I have access to the kingdom of God. I know 
what God is doing. I have the mind of Christ. Okay? And defeat that religious mindset of being unworthy. Okay? Lord, I ask that you um, cause this to just bubble up inside of people this week as they face different situations, that they respond and make a choice to have a mindset of being a son or a daughter, representing your kingdom in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.